It was in 1996 when my parents decided to go to South America, Bolivia, a country they did not know existed. They took my twin brother and sister, three at the time, and me, two at the time, and dedicated their life as missionaries. Although they were excited to become missionaries, they did not realize the difficulties that would follow. Soon after their arrival and some years after, they began to experience the hardships of being missionaries. They had difficulties learning the spoken language, which was Spanish, and were constantly mocked at. When they went to places, they heard racist comments like Chino Cochino, which translates to dirty Chinese. They were scammed into buying things for higher prices than normal. And of course, everything became harder when they began to experience financial difficulties, eventually leading my parents to worry about food daily. As time went by, my brother, sister, and I began to experience the same things my parents experienced, but it became especially difficult for the three of us emotionally after an encounter with an office secretary from our elementary school. My parents had come to pick us up after school and then were told from the secretary that our clothes were dirty and worn out. This event led my brother, sister, and I to blame my parents and question God. Why do we have to be here when it was our parents' choice to become missionaries? Or why do we have to go through this and be looked down upon when we were forced to come to this land? And for years, being missionaries' kids felt like a punishment. Then as the years went on, my parents and God became our excuse for all our troubles and our actions. When there was a fight with my brother or sister, we would say, it wouldn't have happened if we were in Korea right now, or when my brother decided to steal some money from my parents to buy himself some clothes, his excuse was that it wouldn't have happened had we not been brought to this place. And at that point, I agreed with him. This is how we felt our teeth were set on edge. And this was not the only time that had happened, but we can also find it in our scripture reading of today. What we find in Ezekiel is one of the hard truths in life because it is concerning the sins and the judgment of Israel. This passage would make us wonder how God will let this happen. But I think that it would be helpful if we looked at the events that were happening during that time to understand the passage a little bit better. The prophet Ezekiel had been one of the people who had been led into captivity into the land of Babylon. He was a priest and one of the brightest among the Israelites, and so he was one of the individuals that had been taken to court to serve Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. It is in the land of Babylon that Ezekiel is called by the Lord to be a prophet. He is unique in the sense that he was preaching to a community that were in exile. It was through Ezekiel that the people of Israel would learn why they were taken as captives. Now, as we take a look at the second verse, the passage begins with a proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. To make this proverb easier to understand, imagine yourselves eating a lemon. What would be the face that you make? Because the face that you would make would be the main idea of what it means to have one's teeth set on edge. This is a proverb that was going around amongst the exile community. 
Their understanding was that their parents had eaten the sour grapes. In other words, their parents had sinned, and the children's teeth were set on edge, or the children were the ones who reaped the consequences. Let's say you decided to lose weight, and your parents ate a whole cake every day. But you were the one who gained all the sugar weight. It would be unfair to you. This is how the community of exile understood their circumstances. Through this proverb, they were essentially saying that it was not their fault that they were in captivity, but rather it was their forefathers. In trying to understand why they would go through such a terrible event, they looked back into their history. Maybe they saw all the wrongdoings of their forefathers, how their forefathers complained during the 40 years of wilderness, or how during the time of the judges, each individual did what was right in their own eyes or how the wicked kings went against God by leading the people to worship the Canaanite gods like El, Asherah, and Baal. The community of exile looked back at their history and focused on the warnings of destruction that God gave the Israelites generation after generation. So here they were in Babylon, truly believing that they were being punished for the wrongdoings of their forefathers, accusing God for being unfair. The Lord responds in the verse 3 and 4 by saying, As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Know that all lives are mine. The life of the parents as well as the life of the child is mine. It is only the person who sins that shall die. If we look at this generation, they were the generation who had the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah come and warn them about their wrongdoings. These prophets had made it crystal clear that if they did not turn away from their sins, they were going to be taken into captivity. Instead of repenting, they believed that they were God's chosen people. They believed they were the sons of Abraham, so nothing bad could happen to them. With this belief, they kept living in the same patterns that their ancestors did. They kept on living in rebellion, ignoring the warnings that God had given them. So in response, they persecuted the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. Looking at the whole context, we understand that God was not unfair to them at all. The exile community's teeth were definitely set on edge, but it was not because of the sour grapes their forefathers ate but because they chose to eat it. This passage might take us back to an event in our lives where our family or friends have said or done something that makes us justify ourselves. If this person would have done this, or if that person would have said this, therefore, it is not my fault, but their fault for doing or saying this. This passage essentially shows us something that we have been good for a really long time blaming and pointing fingers at others. We, in our human nature, have the tendency to lessen and hide our own faults, but are quick to point the sins of others. Even Adam and Eve in Genesis have also passed the blame, essentially blaming God for their sin. What we have to realize through this passage is how easy it is to repeat this history and push off our responsibilities and sins to others. God, why have you surrounded me with people who know just how to trigger me? This is not saying that other people do not push your buttons. Some people are very capable of that. I have also met some for sure. 
But when it comes to sin and our actions, let us not repeat what was done in this passage and excuse our actions and blame it on others. Let us not focus on what others made me do and focus on what God says about sin, that it is only the person who sins that shall die. This is not talking only of the person who pushed your buttons, nor only the person who made you do this. This includes each and every one of us. Every single one of us is responsible for each of our own sins. This is a harsh passage. It is something very difficult to hear when a community is going through so much pain and suffering after being taken captive and exiled. It is hard to look in the mirror and see our own faults. But the great news is that God does not end with these harsh words. Verse 32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn, then, and live. This verse tells us more about who God is, and he is a God who does not watch us closely to condemn us. On the contrary, he does not want anyone to die. God wants his children to repent and come back to him. He warns and tells the children of Israel of what is coming if they do not repent because God wants them to live and not die. All this is because God is a God of love. This verse is not only for the Israelites, but it speaks to us today. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son as a sacrifice for our sins. And that is why we believers celebrate Easter. Last week was a time to remember Jesus and what he has done for us. But let's remember that everything does not end there. Jesus rose again. Our Savior is a living God. We serve a living God. If God in his love is willing to give his only son for the reconciliation of our sins and in his almighty power capable of bringing Jesus back to life, why would he be hesitant to forgive and redeem us? Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is not just an invitation to attend an event. It was and is an invitation to experience and come to know God's unending grace for creation. An invitation that costs the blood of the Son of God so that we can be part of his kingdom. But let's face it, we're humans. We're flawed and full of shortcomings. But God knows it, and he still wants us to come back to him. He is waiting for us to call on him. So as we prepare to go back into the world, I encourage each and one of you to do what is difficult and to be true to yourself. Let these harsh words not be offensive, causing us to turn away, but let it be words of invitation to be part of the body of Christ. Let us acknowledge our sins, repent, and see that the grace of God through Christ is with all of us in all we do. Amen.